Good morning. Man, it is a beautiful day here in Okinawa. Amen. Yeah, so good to see you guys and uh, worship the Lord with you. I have uh, three quick announcements, highlights, just to uh, share with you before we jump into our morning's portion. Uh, the first is a prayer request of sorts and just an announcement. So this coming Thursday, uh, Pastor Rich Rose from Calvary Chapel Fuchu, his wife and uh, student are going to be coming down to Okinawa uh, from Tokyo. So he ministers there in Tokyo. And it's basically, it's their annual school trip. If you've been around for a bit, uh, you might remember Pastor Rich. He's originally from Hawaii. He's been pastoring in Tokyo for the last 20 years. Uh, they're very dear friends to us. And so they'll be around from Thursday to Tuesday. Uh, I actually invited Rich to be our guest speaker next Sunday. So I'm really excited. He's a great brother and loves the Lord and is a great expositor, teacher of God's Word. Uh, so I'm not going, I'll be here, but I'm going to take attendance. So make sure you don't, make sure you don't ditch, okay? <laughs> so that's uh, Thursday. This coming Saturday, guys, we're having our men's breakfast. I had mentioned, I think, last Sunday how... Every Saturday, we're back in our normal groove. We have men's group, uh, men's study, but the second Saturday, generally, we have a men's breakfast. And if you can't make it to the normal Saturdays, the, the breakfast is the one that you know, we'd love for you to come out and be a part. Um, it's kind of our normal play. It's just a potluck um, style. Uh, usually, uh, some of the guys will make breakfast burritos. It kind of is the, you know, the core and just you know, whatever you might want to bring. So... Uh, that's happening this coming Saturday, and just want to invite you to come out at 8 o'clock if you can, okay? And then uh, the third thing is that next Saturday on the 19th is our children's ministry, includes the nursery. Uh, we're having a um, kind of a meeting, a brunch meeting. And so if you can come out for that, if you're currently serving in children's ministry and or part of the nursery ministry, thank you, by the way. We appreciate and love you guys. Uh, but that meeting is going to be a great meeting for fellowship, but also a lot of information. Uh, but in addition to that, if uh, you are interested, you uh, would like to be a part of that ministry, and we would love for you to be a part of those ministries. Like I mentioned again last week, we, we have some needs. Um, that'd be a great, great place to check it out, ask some questions, get some information, and, uh, and, you know, and have some yummy food and some meet some great people. So that's happening on the 19th on Saturday. So uh, those three things, I just want to do a quick highlight of just events that are happening this month. Of course, everyone knows next Monday, correct? Very special day for your sweetie. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's it. We're going to be praying for the kelps this morning. Uh, Andrew and Candace are leaving us, so we're, we'll pray them back too, but uh, we're going to be praying for them. We love you guys. Thank you for just making a home with us this past season. All right, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, if you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you like to borrow a Bible, you got out your door without one, and you don't know how to download one of those apps, that's okay. We'd love to let you borrow one if you like. You raise your hand real high, and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6. Oh, right here in the front, this young lady would like to borrow a Bible. I entitled our message, God's Purpose, or Purposes of Pain. It's the first Sunday of the month for us. We're going to have communion as well, and so we'll have 
save some time for us to do that at the close of our service. But uh, if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll read. We're going to pray. We'll pray for the kelps as well. And let me just back up to verse 3. We'll talk about the context as we get into it. Of course, the writer is encouraging us to keep our eyes on Jesus. He says in verse 3, for consider him, of course, he's speaking about the Lord, for consider Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, and we're to look to him to be our example, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. For you have not resisted yet to bloodshed, striving against sin. And then the writer offers, I guess, an exhortation in a sense. He, he says, you've, and you've forgotten. You've actually forgotten an exhortation that speaks to you as sons, as God's kids. And then he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, well, he chastens, he corrects, and scourges every son, and I think it's okay to add daughter, every child of God whom he receives. And so we'll pause there. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day, another gift that you've given us, the gift of life, the gift of breath, Lord, really the gift even of of worship and to be able to gather together. Lord, this is a gift. And as we've prayed many times before, forgive us for neglecting such a gift. Forgive us, Lord, for uh, thinking little of this gift. Lord, or even just ignoring it altogether. God, we're grateful that we can to, to be together and to be here. And uh, Lord, we're grateful for the gift of relationships and friendships that you, that you give us. And as we've said often again, just it's, our, it's what makes us rich. It's relationships that are our currency. It's the thing that... Uh, along with our salvation, along with the relationship that you bring us into. It's our relationships with each other that we get to carry into eternity. And Lord, what a, what a special thing that is. And, and so Lord, if those things are eternal, we, we pray that we would invest in them and, and cherish them and treasure them and nurture them as best we can. And Lord, we're so grateful for Andrew and Candace and just the relationship that we've had with them. And Father, we're grateful because it doesn't, even though they physically move, it doesn't end, Lord, but we pray that um, they would be blessed in every way, that you would watch over them, you'd provide for them, Lord, that you would lead and guide them to a great church community, that they might grow and serve, and Lord, that you'll continue to use them in, uh, in just great ways. And so while we'll miss them, Lord, we're also excited for them. So we commit them to you. And Lord, just our time of study now, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and Lord, help us to walk these things out, that we would hear them, we'd receive them, we would apply them, and Lord, then we would do them. And so we commit our time of study to you now. In Jesus' name we pray together, amen, amen. All right, would you take a moment and say hello to someone or say see you later to uh, the Kelps?
Love you guys. sure you've all heard the saying, at least in English. I don't know if there's a Japanese equivalent. I forgot to ask our translator, but that saying that goes, no pain, no gain. Right? We've all heard it. It's you know, generation across generation. I, I remember uh, a few of my friends, when I was a much younger man, would wear t-shirts and tank tops with that phrase, you know, no pain, no gain. And they would say things, funny things, right? Like, oh, pain's, pain's just, it's weakness leaving the body. You know, as I'm crying out or uh, feel the burn, right? They, they'd have like these, uh, these sayings to try to encourage us to associate that if you're, you know, feeling pain that, oh, that's a good thing. You know, that's a good thing after you're working out. And, uh, and I have vague memories. I used to lift weights a long time ago when Jesus was a small boy. I, you know, I worked out and, and, I, and I have memories of that lactic acid buildup, the burn in the muscles. I, I remember that. Yeah, and I remember, you know, the next day you're sore and you're walking funny and you can't lift your arms or your legs feel like lead or, you know, you just have this kind of goofy stride about you. Uh, and I remember, too, I could dare not tell any of my friends because if you had friends like mine, they would love to, uh, you know, help along the pain and poke you or hurt or grab you or whatever, these kind of things. Um, my, my wife, so Christy's been working out. And, uh, of course, took a little bit of a break because of all our travel and quarantine recently. She started back up last week and, and, uh, and was just in pain this whole past week. And, and then she basically turned to me one, one evening and she said, why do, I, why do I do this to myself? And then I was eating a little chocolate. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I think you said you wanted buns of steel. I don't, I don't know why you're doing this to yourself. You know, uh, uh, So... She's actually still in pain, so if you see her later, you can give her a little, uh, you know, a little uh, shot on her, her leg. But anyways, you know, in, in fitness and in exercise, you know, we've, we've accepted this axiom of no pain, no gain. To ex- experience uh, physical gain and growth, uh, muscle building and toning and all these things, well, it, it comes at the expense of, of temporary pain and soreness. You know, the same can be said uh, and can be true of the spiritual life. The writer of Hebrews brings us into a spiritual perspective of pain and of suffering and of hurt and of soreness, if you will, the, and the purpose of it. And why, why does God allow these things and why does God bring these things into our life? Now today as we look at these verses I'll tell you ahead of time, in one sense, we're going to just step into the doorway of this section. Uh, we're going to consider what the scripture says in general about pain and suffering. And then in two weeks, of course, as Rich will be here next Sunday, but in two weeks we'll come back and we'll, we'll consider pain and suffering as the writer brings us into this perspective as a form of God's discipline and really as an extension of God's love. For you and for me. So with that, I draw your attention back to verse 4 as we jump in. The writer says, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You remember with me that chapter 12 opens with this metaphor of the Christian life, our life as believers, and he likens it to 
running a marathon or running a race. And he told us how we're to run. We're to run well. In order for us to run well, well, we have to run light. And so we are to be in this continual process of getting rid of unnecessary things in our life. They might be good. They might be okay for somebody next to you, but they're not okay for you in this season. And God would say to you, hey, that thing needs to go away. You need to set that thing down for this season. And so we're to lighten our load of the unnecessary, and we're certainly to lighten our load of, the, of sin that's in our life, to repent of sin and to get rid of sin, confess it, those things that might trip us up. Then the author tells us where to look. What's our aim? Well, our aim is upward and onward. It is to keep our eyes on the prize, and the prize is Jesus Christ, the high calling that all of us have been called to. We, we, we're to look to Jesus. And in doing so, we realize that uh, he is not only the one that goes before us, he's not only our example, but he is also our enabler, if you will. That he runs ahead of us, but in many ways, he's the one who carries us to the finish line. He is the author and the finisher, the beginning and the perfecter, the pioneer and the perfecter, I should say. And so Jesus is our great example of what it means to run this life of faith with endurance, with perseverance, as he experienced the hardest of things and the roughest of roads, and yet he, he reached reward at the finish line, and the Bible says that you and I, we can too, and we will, as we continue to keep our eyes on the Lord. And so the writer had directed our attention, of course, the original audience, their attention upward, consider Jesus, all that he's done for you, who he is, how he endured as an example. And then he turns our attention to consider then ourselves. You know, but what, what was the degree of the opposition that Jesus experienced? What was the degree of the hardship that our Savior endured for sinners like you and for me, that he would give his life for the world because God loves us so much. It's in this verse and the few that follow that challenge us to give a careful consideration in light of what the Lord has gone through to our hardships that we encounter and that we endure. And the first consideration really is one that, like, well, we can't even put it in the same category. That what we go through isn't anything like what Jesus went through for you and for me. But just the beginning of that where he says that you have not yet resisted bloodshed, striving against sin, he just makes a declarative statement but for us, we can look at it and say, okay, this, this is something that we can make an application. In one sense, there's a challenge for us to consider then the hardships that we're going through. What, and what do we call hard anyways? What do we consider to be a rough road and a difficult thing in our life? And, and really the writer is just saying, hey, take, take a moment, consider that. As we're looking to the Lord and all that he has done and all that he endured and all that he suffered, 
I think it's good. It helps to put some things in perspective for us. I, I think it's fair to say that, that we can, at times, overestimate the severity of our trials. That at times we can be, not always, but we can be uh, masters of hyperbole, means of expressing our discomfort, our dislike, our dismay. You know, we say things like, I'm going to die, right? or I'm done, I can't take this, I'm so done, I can't take this another day. And I think, you know, just in terms of that language, we understand what someone's saying. They're not going to literally die, they just feel like, a, you know, they're tired of this, they're weary of this, they're, you know, have come to the end of your rope kind of a thing. And we understand. And sometimes we allow ourselves to get worked up in a frenzy. We allow ourselves to, you know, to make a, a mountain out of a molehill, as the saying goes, when in reality, if we put it in a perspective, we'd say, well, it's, it's really not that bad. The writer says, uh, you, you haven't yet resisted to bloodshed yet. Now, some have. I mean, we just went through Hebrews 11 a couple weeks ago, and we, we read about how some got sawn in half. They lost their life. They were martyred. Of course, then the example of Jesus, and he puts that in the, the frame, and he says, and you guys, you, you haven't yet resisted the bloodshed yet. It hasn't been that extreme in your fight against the flesh and against striving against sin. I think for me as a parent, I, I've adopted my parents' method of evaluating the severity of an injury for my own kids. And my parents' method was this, are you bleeding? <laughs> Did you break a bone? And if the answer was no, regardless of how bad I might have fallen or busted my head or smashed my finger or whatever it might have been, if the answer was no, I'm not bleeding or I didn't break a bone, then you're okay. Get up, get going, you're not dead, quit crying. Again, it's not that God isn't sympathetic to our pains and hurts. And it's certainly that it's not empathetic. I mean, the, you know, part of Hebrews is writing the fact that Jesus, as he came as a man, he understands when we hurt and we suffer and we go through difficulties. We have a God who understands that. And, and he can relate to us and we can relate to him. And it's not that his spirit doesn't strengthen us or comfort us. Certainly, the spirit does in our weaknesses. And so it's not to negate that or to say that that doesn't happen, but it is to say that there are times where we can lose perspective about our problems and the severity of them. Or, or we can uh, move to extremes as we ascribe what we ascribe as a painful situation or hardship. Now, again, to be sure, there are very difficult things that, that you have endured and you have gone through, or maybe even right now that you're suffering in, and, and this is not to take anything away from you uh, of what you have gone through or maybe what you're going through. But I think it is good for all of us, this loving challenge to pause for a moment and just uh, honestly evaluate our troubles. Because 
the writer's already told us, we can get distracted and we can get caught up in trivial things that at the end, if you will, of life and our entrance into heaven really don't matter. And yet we've made it into a thing. I was reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthian church. In chapter 6, there's this interesting issue that he addresses amongst the various issues he's been talking to that church about, about their unity and that like they're, you know, they tend to be clicky, uh, they tend to be a little selfish when they're having communion, they would have like kind of a potluck and everyone just you know, go for the food and some people were coming hammered. And, and so he's writing about a lot of different things to this church. And, and really what happened with Corinth is they just, they didn't keep Jesus center. That's really the issue. They, they got their eyes on a lot of different things. But in chapter 6, one of the issues that he addresses is apparently there were two, guys, two people in the church who they had this beef with each other, this issue. And so they decide, you know what, we're, I'm going to sue you. They're going to sue each other. And so instead of going to the church and, and ha- helping, you know, having the elders and people you know, who are wiser to say, hey, can you weigh in on this? Can you help us work out our problems? They're like, you know what, we're going to go see Judge Judy. And, and so they, they take it to the local magistrate, and they're like, all right, we're going to deal with this. And Paul engages that. And if you're familiar with it, you, what's interesting about how he addresses it, we never really know what the problem is. What happened with those guys? Did someone borrow somebody's donkey? They didn't give it back? Like, what was the issue there? We don't even know. But whatever it is, the other thing that's interesting, Paul uses this word when he's talking about it. He says, you know, you have this matter between you. And then later on in that same passage, he says, aren't you able to deal with the smallest of matters? So are you so concerned about the things of this life? And, and it's this great little Greek word. In the original Greek, it's biotikos. And it just means life stuff, things of earth. And, and it's, it's almost as though he downplays it right from the beginning. Oh, you just got this thing. <laughs> you, got this, you got this thing between you, that you're going to fight over it and bring it into the public and blast it on social media and bring it to the judge. And how does he address it, though? You know what he does? It's perspective is what he does. He, he says, hey, don't you know that there's going to be a day where we, we're going to be judging angels? Which is just a, a crazy, curious thought, right? Like, I, I often think about the Olympics after, you know, an athlete performs and there's the judges, you know, 9.2 and 8.3 and like, are we going to be like that? Like, what happened to that angel that day, you know, when I fell down? He didn't help me. 1.2, you know. And, but, he, but what does Paul do? He, he, he pulls down the, the backdrop, if you will, of eternity. He says, okay, see what you're fighting about? See what you're so worked up about? See what, you know, has got you so angry and hot right now? Let, let, let's look at that in perspective of forever. What does that look like 100 years from now? is kind of what he's asking. And maybe that will help tone down uh, you know, the, the emotional angst that you have about this thing. And if that wasn't enough, he asks another diagnostic perspective 
question, he says, uh, basically, what will it matter if you just take a hit? What happens if you just let that thing go? What's the worst case scenario? Sometimes those things are good questions to ask. There are times where, no, this issue, you know, it hinges on the, the holiness of God. And it's not something we can just give a light look to. Right? He addresses some of those issues about a sin issue that's happening in the church. I think just the idea of perspective and asking the question, what, what will it matter from 100 or 1,000 years from now? Or what, will it, what will happen if you just take the high road, take the hit, let that thing go? Oh, well, I'll get another donkey or whatever it was. And those are great questions, I think, to ask when we're going through hard times. Because if you're like me, I know what happens when I'm in pain, I, I lose perspective. Because what happens for me is all of a sudden my perspective goes inward. I'm hurting. Ouch. Itai. <laughs> Free me, relieve me, get, you know, help me. And, and we can overly and tend to overly focus then on the pain itself. But that's not where God wants us to focus. See, God desires us to focus on, on what He wants to accomplish through the painful and from the painful experience. And it's not to take away the fact that it hurts and you know, what you're going through is difficult and it's caused you know, sleepless nights and these kind of things, but, but it is that in the question that we're going to ask is, okay, what will it matter 100 years from now? Uh, what happens if I just say, okay, it's, I'll take the hit? Or even this, what's God's purpose for it? To ask the question, Lord, why? What, what are you wanting to accomplish through this? What is your goal in this? And so the writer just makes the statement, you guys, you, as you're considering him, understand where your, yourself is. You haven't resisted yet to bloodshed as you're striving against sin. I have one last thought on this verse, and we'll move on. There's also this sense as you read this this verse that reminds us that in our struggle against sin, and we struggle against our sinful nature, Jesus has delivered us. We've been freed from the power and the penalty of sin. And yet the presence of sin is still there. And that's what you know, the Spirit works to sanctify us from. But we haven't shed our blood. Jesus did. So there's one sense where you can look at it and think, okay, yeah, in our fight against sin, we, we haven't given our blood against it. But Christ did. And so then you and I when we struggle against our sinful nature, when we battle against the sin, we can know that, listen, we can win because Christ secured victory for us on the cross. And the application maybe changes a little bit to say sometimes we're not experiencing victory over sin because we haven't really fully surrendered our lives to Jesus. And so now we're just striving against the sinful nature, but we're striving against our sinful nature in our power, in our ability. There's those who 
like the idea of Jesus, like the person of Jesus, likes what you know, the, the gospel stands for, and we like the people, but, but secretly, we still love our sin. And we find ourselves then living in this cycle of misery, like the book of Judges. Good days, and then all of a sudden there's a cycle of, you know, doing what's right in their own eyes. And why? Because we're trying to resist and fight in the flesh. We haven't resisted the bloodshed, but Christ did. And the Lord gave his life and he gave his blood. So you don't have to. That's the idea. And our striving against our sinful nature, when really we, we just need to surrender to Jesus completely and maybe even daily. And so he makes that interesting statement. Then he moves on, verse 5 and 6. He says, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as, as God's kids. And again, he quotes from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening, the correction of the Lord. Don't get angry, don't get sour, don't get bitter. Or my kids say, don't get salty. Don't be discouraged. Notice that he says, when you are rebuked. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God will correct because he loves us. He scourges. And the idea of scourge is the idea of punish. It hurts. But notice it's every son, every child, every daughter whom God has received. So now the writer brings us into another consideration of our struggles and our sufferings. You know, we can make the mistake to think, or maybe I can, you can relate to me, we can make the mistake to think that, that all pain and life hardships are bad things. And I think by nature we tend to associate something that is difficult, something that is hard, something that is painful, and, and we automatically just categorize it as bad. That's something I want to avoid. I don't want, I don't want that at all. And dare I say that, that that's an immature perspective on our part, on my part, to equate hard things automatically as bad things. Because I see it in my kids. Now, again, I see it in myself too. But my kids tend to have this. They, they will complain and moan and gripe and sigh. They'll lose all energy. You know, like, like someone let the air out of them. You know, they just all collapse. If I ask them to do something that they deem that's difficult, wash the dishes, oh, you know. Like, What's wrong with you? It's not the end of the world. You know, clean your room or whatever it may be. Because for some reason, they and we, right, we, we tend to associate, well, if this is hard, this is difficult, then that must be the bad thing. I don't want to do that thing. And yet I would try to tell them, this is a good thing for you. This builds character. 
It'll help you later in life. It's a, it's a learning lesson so you don't become lazy. You'll thank me later. I'm still waiting for that. My son just turned 23 yesterday. <laughs> and so, gang, as we step kind of into this thought about the writer talking about suffering and hardships, and again, from the lens of God's love as a tool of his correction, we begin with just realizing, listen, we have to resist uh, equating hard things and times where we're, you know, it's difficult or even when we suffer as though it's automatically a bad thing because we tend to do that. Because what the writer is going to tell us is sometimes hard things are good things. Sometimes suffering is a good thing. Yes, you have to persevere through it. Yes, it will hurt. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, maybe we wouldn't want this on us or pray this on us, but yet we can trust that God has a plan through it all. And so what the author does is, you notice in verse 5, is he exhorts these Jewish believers who they had a background of their Bibles, you know, the Old Testament. It's something they should have known. He says, you, you've forgotten You've forgotten what God's already declared to us. This exhortation that's been there, Proverbs chapter 3. And just as an aside, I think it, it's good for us to be reminded of these things. We've talked before, often how the scripture will you know, just call into our remembrance. Peter says, these are things that you've already heard, but I'm going to stir by way of reminder in you. Because we've read it, we've heard a message on it. But again, if you're like me, sometimes I forget, either unintentionally or willfully. And so it's good to be reminded of these truths, especially these truths, again, where we can neglect them, we forget them because we don't like them. Now, what did they forget? Well, they forgot that pain and trials come in the form of love. They come in a form of correction from the Lord. And it's because he loves them and because he loves you, he will allow, he will bring, he will even uh, ordain, if you will, times where you hurt. Times where it, you're suffering, it's not fun. And again, we'll talk more about that next time, that the idea that because God loves you, He will discipline you. Because God loves you, He will discipline you. And the Bible says that suffering as His kids, guess what? It's even part of our birthright. Paul writes to the church in, in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 1, and and he lays out this very interesting, provocative thought. He says, it's been granted to you. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ. And he adds these two things. Not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for him. That, that phrase that it's been granted to you, it's the idea that it, it's a gift you have been gifted. You, you have been uh, given this award, this precious, gracious gift that God wants to give you. 
Now, all of us, that first part, like, yes, Lord, I want that, I need that, hopefully that we come to recognize that. I'm a sinner. I made a mess of my life. I, I need a Savior. And certainly we, we need to think of salvation in those terms as being a gift. We don't earn heaven. We don't merit it. You don't rate it. There's no punch card of good works that after you get 10, you can go cash that in, and now you've got a seat reserved for you in heaven. It doesn't work that way. That's religion. We, it is completely by the grace of God. All because of what Christ has done. And it's a gift, though. It is a gift that God gives to you, and it's a gift that God would want us to receive. It's even the gift of faith where the Spirit opens your heart and opens your eyes to the reality of God's goodness and grace and the truth of our depravity and our ugliness of the darkness of our sin. And it's a gift even right now, today, you can receive. If you yet to receive the gift of God's salvation, the free gift of life, of eternal life that Jesus purchased for you, but he gave it by giving his own life for you. Guess what? Today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today can be the day that you surrender to the Lord, and that's what God would want. You turn from your sin. You recognize, yep, God, that's not what you want for me. I don't want that for me. I want to turn to you and know you and love you as you know and love me and, and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right now, today, you can do that. But along with that, to understand that when we come to faith, God doesn't promise that all of a sudden every hurt and every pain and every trial, that it's going to magically go away and then there's going to be no more suffering and no more hurts and no more disappointments and no more fights and no more disease. It, it just, that's really not the gospel. Those things will still exist. And and the promise of the Lord is that he'll walk, us, walk with us through those things. And when we come to faith, though, what happens is then we get to see and understand how God uses those things in our life. He uses the pains and the trials and the hurts. And that he can, he can bring about even a greater purpose than we realize in the moment when we're in the middle of those things. It's as though God, if you will, offers spiritual glasses that you can put on and you get to see this whole new dimension of, uh, of God's purposes through your difficult days and your dark days and you know, all of the stuff that you have gone through or you're going through. Because what we're reminded of, what we can forget in God's great love is not only is our salvation a gift, but you're ready for this, so is your suffering. And that's usually a frame we don't like to put that in, right? Your suffering is a gift from God. That is a hard truth for us to embrace, but it is true nonetheless. To suffer for the Lord and the sake of the Lord is a spiritual gift that God gives us. And that is a radical lens to look at our pain through. That your pain is a privilege. Your trials are a gift that God has given you. 
Now, again, if you're like me in my flesh, I'm like, I don't want this gift, Lord. I'm going to give it right back. I like to exchange it for uh, blessings. But what would happen, I wonder, if we, if we gain an honest consideration of that? If we looked at our, our present troubles, if we looked at the things that have come our way uh, that we're experiencing as gifts, as a work of God's grace, like how would that change our response to it? Or maybe we should ask, how should that change our response to when those things come? Well, we have plenty of examples. That's the thing, right? The early disciples learned the hard way too, and yet they discovered this. They experienced the transcending joy when they experienced troubles. They came to the place where they were able to take that and reframe their suffering and view it as a privilege, especially when they did so as Christians. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of, of Christ and the sake of the gospel. I mean, Peter gives us this perspective on pain in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Okay, in what, Peter? In winning the lotto? In uh, all of the kids behaving? Selling my house above market? In what, Peter? What do we greatly rejoice in? Well, although for a little while now, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. How can we rejoice if being grieved in various trials? Now, he adds these great qualifiers. For a little while, if need be, the idea, God knows and he's bringing us through this. This too shall pass. But he gives us the punchline that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes and though it's tested by fire the result will be that it may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've talked before. It's often through our painful experiences we get to experience the Lord in a, in a deeper and greater way than we and maybe we wouldn't have when things are just, everything's going so great. It's pain and struggles and trials, your difficulties, persecution. See, God leverages that, and, and, and we get to realize, okay, then, if God uses that to bring me to a place where my faith is strengthened and my eyes are open to a greater perspective of the Lord, then that is the gift. That is a gift. We can't have that perspective unless we first understand that, that God has a divine purpose for the pains we experience. And he doesn't waste them. And so that's why he begins, you guys, you've forgotten this? You've forgotten this exhortation? Remember the original audience, they were going through it. They're having some, some battles with their friends and their family and, and their neighborhood and just their, you know, their community. It wasn't easy. And we talked before in, in the greater context, some of them wanted to quit. They're like, you know what? This is too hard following Jesus. It'd be better if I just go back to my old life. 
And so here the writer is reminding them that, listen, God, God's allowing these things. He uses it because he loves you. And the writer doesn't give these, these points, so, uh, but I think it's important for us to remember them, and again, as a, as a foundation, so when we come back in two weeks, we'll build upon this. Listen, our suffering, your pain and your trials, your difficult days, God allows them as a means to mature you. It's pain and trials that mature us. James echoes what Peter says in chapter 1. He says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing, do we know this? Knowing that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Then he says, And let perseverance finish its work, that you may be mature. You may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It is a tool that God uses to bring us to maturity. And it hurts in the moment, and it's difficult at the time. You know, many years ago, I, I, I experienced what I call just a very deep wound from... Um, a person that I would consider one of my closest friends. It was a person that I admired and respected, that I had confided in. It's part of my, you know, inner circle, if you will. And and I went through this episode. And through it I felt betrayed and hurt and angry. I felt lost. I was confused. This person that I had looked up to, that I admired, that I had given a lot to, just the things that he said and did, it, it left me numb. It, it left me, I don't know, searching for a season. But you know, God, I can say on the, on the backside of that, that God used that pain and God used that that frustration and that process of like, what in the world just happened to me? To teach me a lot. To teach me uh, a lot about myself and where I was finding my identity and validation from. It taught me a lot about where, I, where do I go for healing? Like what, what becomes the outlet that I run to because I was tempted to run the things of the world. And I learned a lot about what it means, and I'm still learning this, to take the high road. What does it mean to have upper room kind of love and forgiveness to a person that you know, you, betrays you? As Jesus would wash the feet and love on Judas in the upper room, knowing exactly what he was going to do, it, to turn the other cheek, I learned a lot about what it means to forgive and be in the process of forgiving. And, and, and I also learned a lot about what it means to be wiser with healthy boundaries. I, I, I experienced just a wound. I felt like a friend 
Didn't even stab me in the back. I felt like he shot me in the front with a shotgun. And I wanted to quit. But, but I can honestly say that I am thankful for what I learned from it. I'm thankful. I, I don't know that I'd want to go through it again in one sense, but, I, but man, I, it, it, it was a difficult process, and yet God used it to mature me. Still using it to mature me. And so suffering matures. Suffering, suffering also weans us from self-reliance. 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul writes, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened to us that we might not rely upon ourselves, but that we would rely fully upon God who raises the dead. And so there's times where the Lord allows you to go through difficulties as a means, and we'll talk about this again in two weeks, that sometimes God's, God's you know, chastisement in the difficulty is a form of correction. It's correcting us, and that's a good thing. And one of those corrections is from self-reliance, depending upon me. Um, when my mom was alive, some of you guys know she passed away several years ago after battling cancer for some time. And, but when those last, I think, two years before she passed away, you know, she just physically wasn't doing well. And so the chemo treatments, the radiation, she was sick and she became weak and she was just suffering from the cancer and the treatment from the cancer. And it forced her to, uh, to be in this place of dependence and I could tell she was so uncomfortable with it. That wasn't my mom. And I could tell like she, she hated to have to rely upon others and upon me to help her. And, and so I watched her not only battle the cancer in, the, in this physical part, but I, I watched her battle, if you will, her own kind of pride. And for years, it was just she just depended on herself. She had a hard life, my mom. And in many ways, it made her very stubborn. She was really hard-headed. And she'd just do things on her own. Sometimes it'd drive me crazy. And yet I, you know, had a front row seat to see how God used that to, in a sense, break her from her self-reliance. She had no other option. And sometimes, gang, the Lord does that in your life and mine. He, he permits hardships to become the tool that breaks you from unhealthy self-reliance. Because you have such a hard head. Hardships also remind us that this is not our home. We're called the children of God. God receives us and one day we will be fully received and come into the presence of the Lord. And yet when we go through these things, it reminds us uh, we're not home yet. You know, when my, when my body aches, when I hear of uh, social unrest and uh, distress and disaster, it's crazy. It came to Okinawa. Did you hear about the bomb threat in Chatan? I'm grateful they didn't blow up Chatan. That would not be good. Uh, and then there's this 
police um, protest in Okinawa City. Apparently there's like, you know, allegations of police brutality and excessive force. And so there's a group that's protesting that. Uh, I saw on, on social media that there's this two young Marines that passed away in a horrible car accident. Young, too. I think they're 20 and 22. I mean, these things happen, you know. And, and so when I, when I hear and read and, of these things, and of course, COVID and cancer and all the rest, it, it, it reminds me this is not our home. This is not our home. Some of you guys know my daughter's in California, and um, there's a family that was here before when they were leaving. They uh, very graciously said, hey, we, we can take your daughter's bike back with us, and so they did, and that family's actually coming back to Okinawa. We prayed them back, just like we'll do with you guys. But uh, if you were around at the time, you remember when Becca started college, she had this sweet, it's a Japanese mama chale bike, you know, the little... Um, you know, it's like a Okinawan beach cruiser. Basically, they're all the same. But she she found this a candy apple red one. So it's very unique. Well, she brings it to California, and her first day of school, it gets stolen. And so she's like, "Dad, my bike got stolen." I'm like, "Welcome to California, honey. I don't you know." <laughs> like, like those things happen. And I think that same year, we had two friends, people from our church, like their house burned down. One, a freak accident, right? Lightning struck a tree. It went through the root underneath the house and caught the house on fire. Their whole house burned down. And was it last year, two years ago, when those wildfires were happening in Oregon and California? We had another, you know, you guys remember the barrows? They, they, left, they lost their house. I was so sad for them. We prayed for them and and yet their perspective encouraged and challenged me. They're like, ah, it's just stuff. That's not our home. Those are just things. Like our, our home is in heaven. It, 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 it's these losses and these trials and these sufferings, it reminds us uh, this isn't our home yet. Even the scripture says God uses them. He leverages them. 2 Corinthians 4 says, For our light and momentary troubles or afflictions, some scripture says, are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond comprehension. And so when you go through these things, part of the prompt is, hey, you're not home yet. Suffering helps us to minister to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our trials. Then he adds this, so that we can then comfort others with the same comfort that God's given us. If you've been around for some time, you know that, that's the bonus fries in the bottom of the bag verse. Right? Praise the Lord, McDonald's is back to large french fries. <laughs> okay, no. You got fries and there's these extra bonus fries in the bottom of your bag? Like that... You're like, I got extra. Yeah, share those. That's the idea, right? Well, God's given you grace and comfort for the things that you're going through, and guess what? He puts in a little extra. What do we do with that? Well, that's for the next person. 
That's for you then to minister to that person. And suffering helps you to do that. You build community and identity because it's one thing that we all share as humans, as people, believers and non-believers. And sometimes it's the non-believer, like, what do I do with this? You're like, oh, let me share with you what the Lord did for me. Similarly, I talked already about my mom's situation. You know, suffering can humble us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Another scripture says to buffet me. And sometimes the Lord allows these things to knock us down a little bit, you know. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And suffering can humble us. And lastly, as we'll transition to our time of communion, when we go through these things, notice the language that the writer is talking about here. Of he speaks to you as his kids. And, and even the Old Testament, you know, don't despise the chastening of the Lord because who he loves, he chastens, and he chastens every son, every daughter. And it's the idea of relationship. And it is then that suffering and our hurts become one very effective, effective tool that deepens our relationship with the Lord. Philippians 3.10 says, Paul writes, I want to know the Lord. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection. What does that power look like, that life-giving, life-raising, life-sustaining, overcoming sin power. I want to know that power. Then he adds this in the equation. But I also want to know the fellowship of his suffering. That I might be conformed. It's a very interesting word he uses, right? To be conformed to his death. Why not conform to his life? Isn't that part of what God's conforming us to? Yeah, it is, but it's through the dying of ourselves. And there's, there's just something that the Lord knows that our connection with Him, and it's true in our human relationships, right? the people that we cry with, that we've gone through hardship with, that we've confessed personal hurts with, that have walked through those things with us, it's those people that we tend to be closest with. It's not necessarily a group that you're just, you know, clowning with and making jokes with. And it's the people that have walked through the fire with you that generally are the closest. And that is absolutely true in our relationship with the Lord. And so we'll we'll pause there for our time this morning, gang. We we will unpack the rest of these verses next time as we go through this passage. But remember, it is because God loves you. It is because God loves you that he brings these painful things into your life. And the perspective that we're to have is to consider it, to make an honest evaluation of it, and to realize God has a purpose for it. And and ultimately the purpose, the catalyst for that is to bring you closer to Jesus. It's to bring you closer to Jesus. As we close this morning, 
We're going to close our time of communion, and uh, I'd like to invite the worship team to go ahead and start coming back up, and the ushers to come and get ready to serve you guys. Remember for us,